And here we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23. And that's what we're going to be this morning. Uh, chapter 23, I'm going to read verses 15 through 29. It says, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Zeph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of Horesh? In the hill, in the hill of Hekilah, uh, or yeah, Hekilah, which is south of Jeshimon. Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where he is, where his foot is, and who has seen him there. For it is told to me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Zeph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. David was hurrying to get away from Saul and Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. Oh, excuse me. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger uh, came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the rock of escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right. So we are continuing our um, series on the providence of God. Last week, I preached to you concerning the providence of God and directing our steps uh, today will be the providence of God in protecting our path. Uh, next week, if the Lord allows, will be the providence of God in conditioning our hearts. And then we'll finish off with the providence of God in, comp- in him completing his work in us. That's going to take us to uh, chapter 25, verse 1, uh, by the time we're done with this uh, sermon series. And if I were to summarize what we're going to talk about today, it would sound a little bit like this. If God is directing our steps, which we established that last week, If he is directing our steps to fulfill his purpose, uh, then he will protect us or he will protect our path until we accomplish his will. And that's uh, that's that's the plain truth behind uh, what is happening here in this story. And it also is a plain truth about how God works uh, within his creation uh, through his providence. So if God is directing our steps to fulfill his purpose, he will protect our path until we accomplish his will. Uh, I want to start off with a few questions like I did last week. How many times have you wondered, what is God doing with my life? 
I, I wonder that very often. I know you do as well. Uh, when good things happen, when bad things happen, I think especially when bad things happen, we, we're trying to figure out what is God doing with our lives? Why are we where we're at? Um, Maybe some questions that come off of that. Why do I seem stuck in, in a rut? Uh, some of us feel like we're like in a hole or in a rut and we've been there for a long time. And once you are there for a while, you maybe even begin to question, does God even care? Uh, it seems like I've been here in this place, in this dark place for a long time, and I just can't fight my way out. I can't crawl my way out. I can't climb my way out. And it just seems like God's not here to help me. Um, maybe that's you this morning. Or why doesn't the Lord just take me home now? I'm, I'm ready to go. Right. We're tired of dealing with the things that we have to deal with on this earth. We know uh, through the word of God that it is uh, better to be out of the body and with the Lord. Uh, so some of us are wondering, like, why? Why not just take me now? Why do I have to wait? Or uh, maybe some of you are asking this question. How is it that I am so blessed, although I know I don't deserve it? Right. I think the majority of us will, will fall under that category, and we have asked ourselves that question so many different times. I think these questions are kind of all over the place, but they still fall under what we're talking about. They still fall under the fact that God is protecting our lives for a reason, for a reason. And even if it's us going through some hard times, we must realize that he's protecting us in that. So the answers to those questions point us back to the providence of God. We know that God is always at work. The Bible tells us that, and he has proven that to us. We can see it in our lives. He is always at work, and he is always at work in our own lives from a personal standpoint, not just in general. Uh, but he's at work in our lives to accomplish his will. But why? That's the question. Why is the Lord at work in our lives to accomplish his will? And not only that, what is his purpose in doing so? Right? So why? What is his purpose in doing so? Those are the questions we're going to answer today. And we're going to answer it through our passage. I believe our passage helps us. And it sheds some light on how and why the Lord providentially protects our steps. And uh, that, that's where we're going to go from here. So let's take a closer look. First of all, I want to um, speak to you about the passage and uh, just describe some details of what's going on there. And then there's also uh, some things that we need to think about within this passage it's a very interesting passage, and it does take some time to, to, to get through, so I, I need to not waste any time and just get directly to the point. First of all, verses 15 through 18, we see that David and Jonathan reconnect again after a long, long while. And uh, the last time they met, they were conspiring against Saul, which is Jonathan's father, the king, right? We, if we go way back to earlier in the book, we understand that uh, the Lord rejected Saul because he was not the king that he had. He should have been. Uh, he was disobedient. He did not follow the word of the Lord. So the Lord rejected uh, King Saul, took his spirit from him, uh, put it in David and anointed David as king. The thing was, is that there was a, a time period of where Saul would remain on the on the throne and David would eventually replace him. And so uh, Saul started to see the spirit of the Lord work within David became jealous of him. Only thing was, was his son, Jonathan, was best friends with David, like an older brother. And Jonathan knew and saw the spirit of the Lord upon David, and he knew that David would rule one day. And he was trying to help David because it had gotten so bad that Saul was seeking his life. And so the last time they were together, 
Jonathan was actually trying to help David figure out what he needed to do because it was just getting really bad with his father and David. Uh, Saul was getting really jealous and he was, he was just out of control. So that's the last time that we see them together. They came up with this plan to try to trick Saul. Saul finds out, is so infuriated, he tries to kill his own son by throwing a spear at him. Not, not once, but well, no, once with, with Jonathan, several times with David. David runs away in fear, and from that point on, they had not seen each other until now. Now, I want you to notice something. Saul had been looking for David for some time now, but had not been able to find him. Jonathan found him, it seems like, right away. And not only finds him right away, but he's able to visit him. It's like that old saying goes, it's easier to catch flies with honey than with vinegar. That's kind of like what's going on here, right? I mean, um, for one thing, it's, it's showing God's protection over David's life. Saul's been looking for David, has not been able to find him. God has, has basically protected him so that he could elude uh, Saul. But here in Jonathan's case, Jonathan wants to visit him to strengthen his hand. Now, I, I can really appreciate that analogy that is being used. Um, David wants to strengthen his hand, or in other words, strengthen his faith. Uh, we can all understand as we get older that one thing that gets weaker, everything gets weaker, actually. But one thing that we notice is our hands. They get they get weaker. And uh, I, the other day I was uh, using a scraper to scrape paint off the ground. And I used it for about two to three hours. And then the very next day I'm going for my morning walk and my hands are throbbing and I can't figure out why. I'm thinking first I was like, am I having a heart attack? You know, because I'm walking and then my hands just start throbbing. And but then I started remembering, I, I was like, you know what? I was I had the scraper in my hand all day the day before or not all day, but, you know, two to three hours. And my my hands were just they, I could feel them swollen and they were just kind of stiff. My hands didn't used to get that way. Right. They didn't used to get that way. But but now they're starting to get that way after after a long day, you know. And so uh, we, we know as we grow older, our hands grow weaker. Well, that analogy is being used concerning David's faith. David's faith needed to be strengthened. So then here, Jonathan goes to visit David to strengthen his hand, or in other words, to strengthen his faith in God. And it's, it's very encouraging that you see Jonathan risk his life, basically, to go and do this, because we already know Saul has already tried to kill his son because he teamed up with David. But yet Jonathan goes, he understands that, uh, that David needs encouragement and he goes to visit him. Now, when Jonathan visits him, there are two things that he does for him. Or basically, he provides encouragement for David in two ways. First, his presence. Second, the words that he tells him. I think that's really important for us as a church to see this and to, to know what our ministry should be to one another. First of all, his presence. He goes and he's just there for his friend. His friend is, is, is struggling, he's hurting, his, his faith has lessened, and Jonathan is there in his presence just to go and visit him. I, I tell you what, our presence can speak volumes, right? Sometimes we know somebody's going through something. We know someone is hurting. We know they're struggling. Be there for them. And I notice what I said, your presence can speak volumes, it can, but your presence can also be a hindrance. Now, we have to be careful, right? We have to be careful because a lot of times whenever we want to minister to people, it's about 
our timing. It's about the way we want to do it, but that's not the way it works. The way it works is we have to understand the needs of the people. We have to understand the need of the person. And so your presence can be a wonderful and godly thing. We just have to keep in mind that we're ministering to somebody and it's not really about us. Amen? Second thing is his words. Our words can provide healing. But just like our presence can be a hindrance, our words can also be a hindrance to somebody. We have to choose our words wisely. Like it, it would be kind of awkward if one of you are hurting and one of the pastors from the church just goes and stands next to you and never tells you anything, right? We're like, oh, it's a ministry of presence. I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm not going to tell you anything, but I'm here for you. It'd be kind of awkward. So presence and encouraging words go together, or rather, I should say, presence and truthful words go together. But the thing is, is that you have to know what you're doing. You have to know what you're saying. And you have to think about it before you say it. Because sometimes uh, when someone is hurting, we walk up to them and we just, we just start talking. Not really thinking about what we're saying. And we do more damage than good. Right? But if our words are faithful and true and they're delivered with mercy and grace, man, that's an encouragement for somebody. So right away, we see uh, a great example of how the church should minister to one another. But when Jonathan goes and visits David, uh, he tells him some things. And sadly, some of, the, of what Jonathan said would not come true. It, it, he meant uh, what was best for David, but it just would not come true, come true. But his overall message of God's protection over David's life was, was spot on. Like, for instance, when he uh, went to uh, tell David, he basically said, hey, don't worry, the hand of my father will not find you. Well, that, that, that wasn't true. In fact, it's in our passage. Saul finds David. So, and then he tells him, but you're going to be king. Don't worry, my father knows this, you're going to be king. That was true. No matter what Saul tried to do to David, we see the protection of, of, of God upon David's life. And eventually David will be, will, will be king. But then he also tells David, hey, I'm going to be right there next to you. I'm going to be serving. I'm going to be serving you like I serve my father. I'm going to be right there next to you. Unfortunately, that would not be true. Because as we keep reading, we'll find out that Jonathan dies in battle with his father before David takes the throne. So we see these things come to pass. Our, you know, as, as we're looking at them, as we're reading along, uh, Jonathan was trying to encourage David, but like I said, most of what, a couple of things that he said were not true, but the whole fact that, yes, he will be king, David will be king, and God will protect him was spot on. Now, this would be the last time that they would actually see each other. This would be the last time. It, it's kind of a bittersweet, like you look at scripture like that, it makes you think. You have family, you have friends, you have people you love. You have no idea when the, when the last time you're going to see them, Right? They're like, Pastor, come on, don't, don't go down this road this early in the morning. But we don't. We don't know when the last time we're going to see each other. That's why we need to uh, celebrate one another, right? That's why we need to love one another. That's why we need to forgive one another. It's all important because we take it for granted that tomorrow is promised and we know, we all know in here tomorrow is not promised. No matter what age you are. 
So appreciate what the Lord has given you today. So as we look at, as we continue to look at this, uh, this is the last time they're going to see each other. But we have to understand something. It's awesome to see how God used Jonathan to encourage and protect David. But Jonathan's work was about to be completed. That was his lot in life, basically, to serve his father and to encourage and protect David. And he, he did it. He did, he did as he was called to do. Uh, he completed his work and the Lord took him home. So if we're going to look at how God protects not only David, but he also protected Saul to a point till he finished his work. He protected Jonathan till he finished his work. You see how God's protection it doesn't just lead to our glorification, like, you know, as far as here on this earth, where we get what we want and our life is blessed and, and, and we're living a comfortable life. That's not the purpose of his protection. If you look at God's protection over anybody's life in the Bible, it's to accomplish his will. Once his will is accomplished, then that's it. Right. The life, the life is done. The life is over. And we'll talk about that, what happens once the life is over. Once the life is over doesn't mean that God has quit protecting you. Uh, that, that's a big misconception. But we need to understand and see that. David was called to minister to David. Or Jonathan was called to minister to David. He did. And then the Lord took him home. Now, before I leave this point, I do want to address this. Uh, and I haven't said anything up to this point. I was waiting to the end uh, to talk about this. I was actually waiting to this chapter to talk about this uh, just so that we can cover it. Some say that David and Jonathan were involved in a homosexual relationship, right? Uh, they point to scripture and, you know, the several different times that they talk about them um, meeting and being together. Uh, even at one point, they, they shared a kiss. Like that, we have to understand that all that was part of of. of, of their lifestyle, not their lifestyle, but their culture. Thank you. I was thinking of traditions, but their culture. Uh, it was part of their culture. And there was nothing homosexual about that relationship. Instead, it was a relationship as it should be an example for all of us that we should have with one another within God's church, within God's people. But as far as them having a homosexual relationship, here are a couple of reasons why I know that was not true. Number one, the Bible doesn't say it, and if the Bible would have said it, God would have addressed it. God would have dealt with it, right? Because if we look at how the Bible talks about both of their lives, the, the Bible deals with the sin in their life. When David, later on in Second uh, Samuel, when he has an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, the Bible talks about that, and God deals with that. When Jonathan sins against his father, the Bible talks about that, and God deals with that, right? So the Bible does not shy away from anything like that. So number one, we know it for that reason. Number two, every time the relationship is mentioned, there is a covenant that goes along with it. That covenant is founded on God. God would not allow, he would not allow a covenant relationship founded on him to go into the sin of homosexuality, especially in Scripture. When the Bible talks about it, it, God would have not approved of that. Right? So there are plenty of other reasons that we can dig into as far as this relationship not being a homosexual relationship. But I wanted to mention that because there are charismatic Christians, 
so to speak, and I'm using the air quotes, uh, there are people of the world who continue to try to push that agenda to try to make us think that that is something God approves us. And that is, that is not anything that he approves us. It is a sin against the Lord, right? So I, I don't want to make that the whole point of the sermon, but I, I do want to mention that. Now, when we look at scripture, scripture then directs us our attention to the Ziphites, the people of the land that David is seeking refuge in. Look at verse 20. They come and make a bargain with Saul. And uh, basically, they want to give up David. They come up to Saul and they say, uh, now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down. And our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. Now, apparently, uh, Saul's reputation preceded him. And just not too long ago, he had killed basically a city of priests. And so now everybody's afraid of Saul and David's hiding in their land. So they don't want any part of Saul's fury. They want to go and let them know that, hey, we're on your side. And if you want to come down and give, get him, we're going to give him to you. But notice Saul's hesitation, verses 22 through 23. Once uh, they come and talk to him, he tells them, go make sure and know and see the place where his foot is and who has been there with him. For it is told to me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, basically, he says, I will search him out. Now, that is really, really interesting. Why doesn't Saul want to go right away? He's been chasing after David this whole time. You would think, hey, I know where he's at. I'm just going to go rush in and find him. Well, David was seeking refuge in the wilderness. The wilderness was basically the desert. It was not a comfortable place to be. In fact, that's why he was there. The wilderness was for those who were running away from something, uh, someone who was trying to find them. So David was in this wilderness. Uh, this had become his habitation, it had become this place where he is living. So he's there. He's protected by God, but here's a very important fact. He's protected by God, but he's not living in comfort. In other words, this is not a vacation destination for David. I think as Christians, we expect both many times. You see, when we look at the life of David, God was providing protection for him, but not comfort. And for us, we want protection and we want comfort. We, we, want it, we want it our way, right? How often do you expect protection and comfort from God? And here's a follow-up question. Do you think it's unfair when he doesn't provide both to you? And we could sit here and say, no, I don't, I don't ever do that. But what happens once something goes wrong? Right. What happens when something goes wrong? Something doesn't go as you expected it. First thing you do is get angry. Then it just goes goes on. It's like a snowball effect. It continues on. Anger turns into pity. Pity turns into complaining like it just goes on and on and on. So we can say, no, we don't expect protection and comfort. But our actions speak more than our words do. See, God doesn't provide protection according to our terms. It's proof he wasn't providing protections according to David's terms. David was safe, but he was in a hard place. See, I think that's a lesson for us. God's protection over our lives 
has us safe. Even though it's a hard place, we're safe. We, might, we need to be content where God has us. Not to look over our shoulders, not to look at anybody else, but say, hey, Lord, thank you for your protection no matter where I'm at. The good, the bad, or the ugly. So when we look at this, we need to know that his protection over, over us, over our lives, is subservient to his purpose for us. See, God does as he pleases to accomplish all that he pleases. That's what we see in scripture. And if you're careful, that's what you'll see in your own life. Your comfort, my comfort, our comfort, will never supersede his purpose, ever. So next is an awesome climactic scene between Saul and David. Saul gives chase and David retreats further into the wilderness. Uh, We see he keeps on jumping from one to the other, but he goes deeper south. Uh, they're on this, they basically get up to the same mountain. It kind of reminds me of like if you're walking through the wilderness and a bear starts to chase you and you, you run. The first thing you're, you're going to do is you're going to seek high ground, right? You're going to be like, I'm going to climb that tree because bears don't climb trees. So you run and you climb that tree and then you find out, oh, no, bears climb trees. Right. So then you have to get down. So here's David. He's running. He goes into this wilderness, deeper into the wilderness. Saul, you know, finds him. He's right on his tail. And David goes up the mountain and Saul proceeds to chase after him. And in scripture, it looks like David's on one side of the mountain. Saul's on the other. And at this point, at this point, it says that the Bible says that Saul's going to capture him. It's like this climactic movie scene that you're, that you're watching. It's like Saul's about to capture him. And I like to stop right there and just think about, let us think about what David was thinking about. At this point, I'm certain David was fearful again. He was fearful of what was about to happen. Uh, I'm certain that he had a moment of weakness here. No telling what he started complaining about, what he started thinking about, what he started being negative about. I'm sure he cried out to the Lord, help me. I'm sure he did all those things and probably a whole lot more. You see, I'm certain of these things because I've done them myself. You've done them too. I'm sure he was complaining the whole time Saul was gaining on him. I'm sure he was like, Lord, you, man, you set me apart. Not only did you set me apart, you anointed me. You said I was going to be king and I'm about to die. Well, everything you've promised me is not coming true. Right. We've all been there before. See, this part here it makes me think about the process of death. It, it really does. Death is the ultimate test for the Christian. That's the way I look at it. It's the ultimate test. It's something that you must do alone. Everybody. Everybody, you, 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 you die alone. Even if you have people around you supporting you, that's a wonderful and, and, and a blessing from that's a wonderful thing and a blessing from God. But you go at it alone. And so as you face death. There's fear. Right. See, I, I've been in ministry, the pastoral ministry for 14 years. Unfortunately, in those 14 years, I've had plenty of opportunity to be next to those whom I love that are dying. And I will tell you, there's fear. Everyone has it. 
You will have it. At some point, there is fear of what? Of the unknown. Even though we know, even though the Bible tells us, we still have to fight against the flesh and we have to fight against that fear of the unknown. Our hands are weak, so to speak, when it comes to death. We need our hands to be strengthened. We need our faith to be strengthened. But here, there's fear, there's weakness, there's uncertainty. All of that takes place in our last breaths. But then, something awesome happens. At some point, every single time I've been next to a Christian on their deathbed, something wonderful happens. Those things begin to melt away. God, he begins to prepare them for what's to come. It's a beautiful thing to see God minister to those who are dying. You can't explain it. You can't explain the peace that they end up having. I'm encouraged by it every single time. And it's a bittersweet thing because at one point you're about to lose a brother and sister in Christ. But in the next point, you're seeing God prepare this person for the next life. You're seeing God supply what they need when they need it. I think it's exactly what God was doing here with David, supplying what he needs when he needed it. You see the Christian close their eyes, and then they see God. And I can't imagine what that is like. Again, this is an individual trip But when they close their eyes and see God, you're like, wait a second, how do they close their eyes and see God? Yeah, they close their eyes and they see God. And when they see God, I'm certain that the things that they were fearful of, they just all completely melt away. Right? Because there is there's no more fear. There's no more uncertainty. There's no there's no other questions. All there is is faith. Their hands are permanently strengthened. And it's a beautiful existence afterward. But getting there, getting through there is tough. Getting there, you have to go through all these different types of emotions. But all fear vanishes and only faith remains when we see the Lord. See, I believe God's protection is with us our whole way. Because if you look at this and you say, well, What if this didn't end the way it did? What if this ended in David's death? There are some other things we have to take care of in order to answer that question, but just entertain me for a second. Uh, What if this ended in David's death? Would that mean that God's protection was not adequate? Would, Would that mean that God, that he made a mistake or that he was not enough? Would that mean that? No, not at all. Not at all. God's protection takes you all the way home. God's going to protect you In order for him to accomplish his will in your life. And then he's going to take you home. So his protection doesn't keep you from death. That's something that we all have to face. But his protection keeps you through death. That's the beautiful thing about it. I'm reminded of the, the tragedy in Uvalde. That's tough. I know you all. I mean, it's, it's heart wrenching. You've all had to deal with it. We've all seen it. And that's we just can't imagine for, for someone to go in and, and kill young children like that, and everybody's looking for answers. 
And one of those questions that they're looking for, one of the answers that they're looking for, where, where was God? Where was his protection over these young children? I, I believe it was right there. Everything that I just described, I believe those young children closed their eyes and they saw the truth. They saw the Lord. He protected them through the process of death. He chose to protect some in that way and then he chose to protect some so that they remain here. All for the same reason, to fulfill his purpose. Now it's a hard pill to swallow. It is. But we don't know the purpose of God. We just know that he's good and he's good all the time. Amen. That's true for our own lives. Don't ever doubt that. Don't ever doubt that. God is good. Trust in his purpose. So when we go back and look at this, just as it was about to be over for David and his men, we see that God intervened. Look at 27 uh, and 28. It says, um, so Saul's about to catch David, and then a messenger comes out of nowhere. I'm reading this story, and I'm like, where did this messenger come from? He just shows up. I I can't imagine how nervous this messenger was. Because everybody knows Saul's temper at this point. He's about to finally catch David, and this messenger shows up. He's like, oh, king, uh, the Philistines are attacking. The Philistines are attacking and we need your help. There's a raid against the land. So verse 28 says that Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. So what's what's very interesting here is that Saul actually listened to the messenger, didn't kill him. And then also he went to go and protect his land. Up to this point, Saul hadn't been worried about his own land. He's only been worried about killing David. We talked about how last week how David actually had to go save a city because Saul wasn't worried about that. He's worried about chasing after David. But here, surprisingly, Saul cared enough about the Philistines to go and stop them. I, when I look at that, I'm thinking that this raid, it must have, been, uh, it must have personally impacted Saul. Like they were going against the, the, the kingdom and, 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 you know, or something. There was something that they were taking away from him that he thought was more important than chasing after David. Because right now, that's, what the, that's the type of person that Saul seems to be. Some may look at this and say, man, what a coincidence. Well, here's, here's some language from the confession, I think, that will help all of us. It says, all things come to pass unchangeably and certainly in relation to the foreknowledge and the decree of God, who is the first cause. Thus, nothing happens to anyone by chance or outside of God's providence. Yet, by the same providence, God arranges all things to occur according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or in response to the other causes. So basically what the confession is saying here is that, remember when you were a little kid, and you got your pack of dominoes from your grandfather or your father. You got your dominoes out. You put them on the floor and you arranged them. You arranged them to hit one another and fall over. You made patterns. You did everything you wanted. And you arranged them the way you wanted to. Right. So what the confession is saying here is that God, God has the dominoes in his hands. Right. He has the dominoes for your life in his hands. He sets them down. He arranges them in how they're going to fall over. He arranges them in the pattern that they're going to go. 
The first cause is that he's the one who initiates the first domino to knock over. That was always the thing, right? When you and your brother, or you and your sister, when you did this, you were fighting over who was going to hit the first domino because that was going to knock, that was going to start everything. So the person who hits the domino is the one who gets the credit. So you're fighting over that. Well, God is the one who hits that first domino. And then what happens? The rest of the dominoes fall into place where God has placed them. That's the second cause. So either way, all things are from God. Directly, indirectly, they're all from God. Everything you've been through in your life, from the Lord, for a reason, for a purpose. And there may be a lot of questions you have after hearing that, but I I tell you, I tell you the truth, God is sovereign. We don't always comprehend what that means, but he is sovereign. Not just in general over the world, but he is sovereign over your life. There are no coincidences. And here, David sees that. Instead of seeing it as a coincidence, David pointed to a higher power in verse 28. He thanked the Lord. He named the place a rock of escape in honor and reverence of him because he realized. He's like, it wasn't me who got away. I wasn't quick enough. I wasn't smart enough. I was about to die, and the Lord saved me. Now, when we look at that, later, David reflects on how the Lord saved him from the hands of Saul. Uh, Listen to this out of Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. David wrote that after being saved from, it says, all of his enemies, including Saul. So look at the words he uses. The Lord is my rock. I can't help but think that David was thinking about this exact moment in time when the Lord saved him. See, God is in the details, and we have to understand that. David's reference to the Lord as his rock acknowledges the following about God. Number one, he is our solid foundation. He is our solid foundation. He will never leave us. See, when the storms of life come, our lives will not fall to pieces because they are built on the rock. Secondly, he is our fortress. Our life, he is our salvation. All those things, they are guarded by God. No one will take us out of his hands. He is also our deliverer, David said. Nothing is impossible with him. If he is for you, then who can stand against you? He also says that he is our refuge. He is our shield. He is our horn. He is our stronghold. He is the one who provides life and protection. Listen, in him we move, we live, and we have our being. God is all those things. The rock of escape here, or the rock of division, basically the rock that stood between David and Saul. That's the translation here. That's what that means points us to the God-man, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Now think about the ways in which Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the rock of escape for you, for us. We must acknowledge creation exists through and for Christ. We must also acknowledge his spirit guides and guards our lives. He is our intercessor. 
by which we receive grace and mercy from God. And also, Christ surely and safely will bring us home to be with him. Yet he is our rock of escape. He is the one who stands in between. He is our intercessor. He is our Lord. We owe everything to him. Trust that God has not abandoned nor forsaken you, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you see with these eyes or hear with these ears. He has not abandoned you or forsaken you. You permanently and perfectly have help from above through Christ. He is your rock of escape. So let me ask you, are you in trouble this morning? Well, then look to the rock, look to the mountains, as Scripture tells us. Why? Because that's where our help comes from. Comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now to talk about, and I'll end it with this, there is purpose in God's protection. I've alluded to some of this, but I think it's important for us to mention this before we close out our sermon. In Christ, through the good, bad, and ugliness of life, God is protecting your path for his glory and your good. That's what it comes down to. Remember, now remember, this is very, very important. Remember that his glory is exalted above your good. Listen to this out of the confession. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and all things, from the greatest to the least, by his perfectly wise and holy providence. Now, this is the key part. To the purpose for which they were created. That's the important part. That's the part that we forget. We want to hold on to everything else. We want to hold on to his infinite power, wisdom, how he upholds, he directs, he arranges, he governs all of our things. We want to hold on to all of that. And then we want to neglect the last part, the purpose for which we were created. Hey, life is not easy. It was never promised to be. You may even think life is not fair and we must not talk about fair, right? Because if we got what was fair to us, we would be in hell. Our life is more than us. Weird to say. Hard to understand. But we serve a higher purpose with our life. Scripture says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, in protecting your path, God has determined the end as well as the means of doing so. And there are important lessons to learn in the means by which he brings about his will for you. First, you must realize that God is perfectly wise and holy in all that he does and allows He doesn't make any mistakes. He has not made any mistakes with your life. He has perfectly, perfectly dealt with you. You might say, well, wait a second, that's really hard for me because all this has happened. Yeah, and what has been the result of all that happening? You sitting right here under the gospel teaching of our Lord and Savior. Straining every day. Despite of what's happened, 
straining, clinging on to Christ, and hoping, just hoping, for his mercy and grace to accompany you as you walk. That's a beautiful thing. It took a lot for you to get here, but you're here. Secondly, you must realize that there is nothing you can do to change God's determined will. You must submit. You must hold on to him. And you must trust that he will provide what you need for life and godliness. And third, you must realize that God's grace is sufficient for you. This is true regardless of your current affairs. God has given you more than you can bear so that you can look to him for the grace and mercy you need. Yeah, maybe your life is not working out according to your plans. But you know what? That's okay. Trust in his providence. See, it is by his infinite power and wisdom that he has upheld, directed, arranged, and governed your life to bring you to this point. Here's what you don't need to do. Don't waste your time wishing things could have been different. Don't waste your time. Also, don't waste your time feeling sorry for yourself. Praise God where you are at in your life today. And as I said before, pray that he gives you grace and mercy for tomorrow. One of my favorite quotes of all time comes from Spurgeon. He says, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. That is so true. Remember, but by the grace of God, you are who you are. And his grace toward you is not in vain. Let's pray.